Hello and welcome to The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. I'm Mike and she's Emma and today we're looking at our top five favourite Doctors. Ooh, I think this one's going to be controversial, Mike. Uh, yeah, but as we should point out, this is just our opinions. You don't have to agree with them or you could agree with them, that would be nice. <laughs> this is Doctor Who we're talking about, no one's going to agree with us. Oh no, that's, that's, that's entirely possible. Now, before we get into it, I do have to point out a little bit of a disclaimer. I really struggled coming up with my top five favourite Doctors because I always find with every Doctor there's always like good and bad with them so narrowing it down was quite tricky and especially like sort of listing them in in terms of preference you know what I mean it is it is a horrible question but mm. it's it, that's the reason why I picked it to be honest I thought um it's going to generate a lot of thought I think if you're out there listening to this now you're going to be pondering what we've been pondering for you know a, a little while now um it's it's one of those things that even though list making is one of those things that are a tribute to boys i've always been obsessed with making lists about everything it's what if you see me sitting on the train with like a blank expression that's probably what i'm doing um <laughs> doing a top five list of something to pass the time so this is something I've actually given a bit of thought to over time and it's something that changes with me hmm. but it's um it's something that I think is quite an interesting exercise and I what I'm interested about is the parameters that I've used and you've used Mike and um, also I managed to twist my other half Chuck's arm into giving me his top 5 doctors. <laughs> so it's interesting to me how we come by these come by these things and I think as we talk about it that's what's going to be interesting. Mm. So what's your fifth favourite Doctor? Okay, so my in at five for me is the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. Uh-huh. So I was I was trying to be cruel and just go on TV because mm. I think if we were taking everything across the whole spectrum, including novels and audios, he might come a bit higher for me. I... I'm a person who enjoys kind of, you know, a lot of the light and dark in my characters. And I think for me, the Seventh Doctor's stories are a lot better than you think than you think they are. Mm-hmm. I think um, a lot of people might have seen the Seventh Doctor stories, you know, once when they were broadcast and then maybe not revisited them or, yeah. you know, just watched them the one time on VHS and not really bothered because they were a bit naff. I mean... Um, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna look at it subjectively, uh, his stories have dated rather a lot. I think for virtue of being made in the '80s, unfortunately, um, like a lot of the special effects that were sort of brand new at the time, um, <laughs> you know, like all the Quantel and mm-hmm. you know a lot of the sort of rudimentary CGI, it's it's dated far worse than the practical effects they used to use even in the '60s. Yeah, I think uh, looking at it from a 21st century point of view. So, but to be honest, if you can look past that. The Seventh Doctor is remarkably good. I mean, Sylvester McCoy is so part of that character. He's such he's so strong at doing um, the kind of the whole trickster thing, and mm-hmm. you know this whole the whole idea of there's a lot of darkness in him. There's a lot more going on behind him than you think. Mm-hmm. And his relationship with Ace, yeah, I think really informs what we've seen post two thousand five. I mean, Rose is essentially what Ace would have been in the year two thousand five. Mm. as such they've almost got the same backgrounds I mean Rose doesn't have quite her penchant for blowing things up but um, <laughs> and <laughs> bomber jackets 
But um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I love every story of Seventh Doctors. Silver Nemesis is an unwatchable pile of arse. <laughs> um, I've watched it recently. It's absolute garbage. Um, but um, yeah, I just think even, even taking in isolation, even if you're watching a story which isn't particularly strong, you, there's still a lot to enjoy watching for Sylvester McCoy. And to be honest, I would challenge a lot of people to find stories better than Ghostlight. Hmm. So that's my defence of the Seventh Doctor. <laughs> right, yeah. well, my number five is the Tenth Doctor. I think yes, obviously Christopher Eccleston helped like bring Doctor Who back, but I think it was David Tennant who actually kind of cemented the return, as it were. If you know yeah, what I mean. I would agree um, with that. He's, I mean, to this day, he's still probably more popular than, than Matt Smith in some circles. Yes, and, I think that's very true. Yeah, and I think with, with the Tenth Doctor, it's more sort of it sort of lightened up a little bit from the ninth but it still carried over a lot of the darkness of being the survivor of the last great time war i mean you see it in the runaway bride when he just flat out murders the ragnos children yeah uh, i mean he, he just drowns their asses um yes he does yeah but um, um but what's hmm. nice about that is just because i like Although that scene, you know, that scene is very, it's pretty distressing. It's um, it's something they refer back to, and it's a big part of Turn Left, and yeah, um, yeah so it's worth it from that perspective. But yeah, carry on, please. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I just uh, I always I always enjoy like David Tennant's performance of the Doctor uh, because he's he's kind of as a sort of like a baseline. That's what you kind of imagine the, the Doctor to be, sort of like jovial, sort of fun loving. Uh, up for adventure, but also with a, like, a very a sort of dark core to him. And um, just some of the stories the Tenth Doctor had, I mean, things like Human Nature and the Family of Blood, for example, and yep. some of the latter stories. It's it's really great. And there's one thing about David Tenn's performance in Tooth and Claw that always, I always liked was when the Doctor affects a Scottish accent, you know it's David Tennant using his natural accent, but he does yeah. it in such a way that it makes it sound like he's putting it on. Yes. He's, he's a Scottish actor playing a guy who essentially has an English accent, putting on yeah. a Scottish accent. And this is just something so sort of meta about it. I just really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's one of those things that if you're a fan and you kind of know a bit about David Tennant, mm-hmm. it sort of becomes funnier yes. as you sort of go on. Yeah. So like I say, I mean, I, I, I enjoy those and I think that's... As I say, that's where he sort of cements the relaunch of Doctor Who. If that makes makes sense, it's sort of like oh yeah, it 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 completely does. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a lot of people I know admire a lot about Chris Freckleston's performance, um, Mm -hmm. and you know there is there is stuff to enjoy. But um, I think if we all hold our hands up, I think a lot of people sort of said, okay, once David Tennant came in and just really stamped himself on it mm-hmm. from day one and you thought where have you been all this time yeah. <laughs> you know it was um yeah it was sort of like oh this is what they wanted to do with it this mm-hmm. is sort of this is more the doctor who i'm i'm familiar with yeah. and it's the thing of like he was a he was a he is a fan as well mm-hmm. so it's all that thing of like right okay so he's he's going into it with like a respect for the work as well yeah um and sort of a, an understanding of how important it is and a lot for a lot of people yeah so uh yeah hmm. yeah so uh, that the 10th doctor that's my number five 
Okay, so my number four is the Tenth Doctor. Right. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm just going to echo what you've said, Mike, already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's just that the quality of the stories as well that he had. I mean, there are a few clangers in there, but I mean, right. um, there's some just not just Doctor Who is best, but just pure sci-fi drama at its best. Mm. I mean, I would challenge. You know, I would put like you say, Family of Blood, Midnight. Yeah. Um, Utopia, um, yeah. Turn Left. I would put those sort of stories up against the best that anything Babylon, not Babylon 5, that uh, Battlestar Galactica had to put out, mm-hmm. that Star Trek ever put out. It's, uh, I mean, Blink as well, yeah. although ironically he's not in it a lot, <laughs> um, is, um, you know, I think one of the finest pieces of science fiction uh, TV mm. drama that's been on in maybe a decade. Absolutely. In the past decade. Yeah. So, I mean, like I say, you may want to say, well, David Tennant was particularly in Blink, but it was in his it was in his tenure. And yeah. when you're taking dogs into account, you kind of have to say, well, what about the production behind them? And I think that's probably why you're not going to find, here's a spoiler, the sixth Doctor on, <laughs> on a lot of lists, because yeah. the production behind the scenes was utter chaos at mm. that point. I think if, you, if you're someone who's listening, who's maybe not as familiar with... Um, the, uh, the the past doctors, I would say, pick up. I'd probably pick it up fairly cheap now. The Trial of a Time Lord box set, because mm. on that box set there is a really excellent documentary and pretty waltz and all as well about the um, the behind the scenes uh, farrago that was going on between the last series, the suspension, and then the Trial of a Time Lord series, yeah. which is really excellent. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that. Tennant's era reflects on how, you know, arguably at its peak of its popularity, David Tennant mania. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, because he was the biggest, he was the biggest deal in this uh, in this country. I mean, he was on. There was, I think, during towards the end of his run, mm-hmm. um, there was a thing which I think we we in this house jokingly dubbed David Tennantmus because <laughs> he was on every bloody program over one Christmas. I mean, because oh, there was a Christmas special. And um, he was on all the sort of the game shows and the yeah, talk was, shows. And... He was certainly on QI. I remember him being on QI. He was on QI. Because they was, joked about yeah, uh, the 10th Doctor's departure. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I think that one, that's the funniest bit, is when they're talking about the secret Osmond brothers <laughs> who live in the lot of Big Graham Osmond who actually writes all the songs. Crazy horses. <laughs> oh dear so yeah um yeah um i'll have to go watch the episode again now yeah. um but um yeah it was the point is that it i think the show has never been more popular just the, the credibility of the show has never been higher as well mm. um say what you like about i think towards the end of david's uh run people were kind of like yeah ready for a new guy now um yeah. I mean, I certainly felt that way, um, especially after the specials year. Mm. A lot of those, I mean, because, I mean, what was Mars is good, but I mean, the rest of the stories, they're not that yeah. good. Uh, they're pre- they're kind of weak, especially the next Doctor. I watched it again the other day and it is, it's not improved. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'll say, I think if we'd had this conversation a couple of years ago, he mm-hmm. would have been higher up my list, but we'll get yeah. to that as we come to it. So you're fourth, Mike. Yeah, my number four is the second Doctor. Okay. Um, Because when you think about it, a lot of the established lore in Doctor Who came with him. 
Yes. He was the first, well, he was the first regeneration of the Doctor. He was the second incarnation, of course. He introduced the sonic screwdriver. It was during his tenure that we first got to know about his people, the Time Lords, because they showed up at the end of the war games. And a lot of the things, I mean, even sort of the popularity of the Cybermen was really cemented during his time because they showed up, what, three times? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I mean, sure, the Cybermen appeared in William Hartnell's last story, but I think it was with with Patrick Troughton's tenure that, that they sort of came into the forefront and sort of like got elevated not obviously not quite at the height of like the Daleks popularity but it certainly like helped and also you had like you know companions like Jamie and introduced the Ice Warriors and there's the whole little thing about the 500 year diary and it just sort of like brings a sort of like a charm and a whimsy to it but underneath you always get a sense of he he knows what he's doing He he, he doesn't let on he plays the fool a hell of a lot and that also gets reflected in one of my choices later later along for a favorite doctor and but but you always get a sense that all of he's like bounds around and yells oh my giddy aunt and plays away on his recorder you do sort of get a sense that he is he knows what he's doing he might not necessarily have a plan but he knows that he's going to take that i mean was it in i think it was in the moon base where he had the speech about the there are things that have been bred in certain corners of the galaxy. They must be fought. And he gets a lot of lovely little like things, like his talk with um, Victoria in Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, where he says about you know his, his first mention of his family beyond you know Susan. He says, you know, I I do forget about them. They sleep in the back of my mind. I had to really want to remember them. And he says, this is what this is what's so great about what we do. Like, nobody else in the universe can do it. And it was things like that that I just like, really sort of, like, made me, like, like, warm to him. And it's such a shame that a lot of his stories have been lost, have been, yeah, been exactly. destroyed by the BBC, yeah. the stupid fuckers. Fuckers, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean it's, it's, it's gotten to such a point. I mean, there's, do you know about the... Um, the spoof documentary on uh, the Pyramids of Mars disc about yes. Sutek. Yes, <laughs> Sutek. And he's audition. actually got a pyramid of Mars rappers. Which... <laughs> yeah, but um, during the talk about his audition to play himself, Sutek says uh, Philip Hinchcliffe would set, would set fire to things so he could tr- hold back the flames with the power of his mind. It was only then that he realised that it burned something called Fury from the Deep. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, yeah, Patrick Troughton just—he's uh, just a great doctor, and he certainly took the role and made it his own. And sort of, he could have very easily been sort of like stuck in the shadow of William Hartnell, but he did it completely his own way. And you know, it's—you know—we have to like tip our hats to him because if that—if he hadn't—if it gone wrong, you know, we probably wouldn't even be sitting here today talking about Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, it would have been sort of renegated to the back of like a, you know, an insignificant curio, mm. you know, sort of one of these weird 60s shows like Bloody Adam Adamant or something like that <laughs> that no one really cares about anymore. I think with Patrick as well, you know, like I think you forget what a colossal risk it was to just mm. say, well, William Hall doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> just get an upload. Yeah. To just to just say we're going to do we're going to do that and, mm. and go with it and have the bravery to make that decision and to sort of have this thing of like Patrick Troughton who 
it's <clears throat> much like a, a lot of the other people who've played the Doctor. So if, if you've been watching TV or if you, you know, if you went to rep or go to rep and all this sort of thing, mm-hmm. you might know Patrick Troughton's name, you might know his face, but you wouldn't. he's not necessarily a household name at that no. point. So this is before we did a lot of the stuff that other people would know him from. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just such a huge risk, and I think we all forget that now. Yeah. Um, as well, I think what's lovely about Hart, uh, sorry, Troughton, rather, as opposed to Hartnell, is his relationship with the companions. Hmm. Like, he had such great chemistry with uh, Fraser Hines and uh, Debbie Watling. Absolutely. Um, you know, like you were mentioning, two of the sidemen, there's this lovely bit of business right at the beginning where um, he goes to hold Victoria's hand. <laughs> But he held Jamie's instead, and you can. It's only it's, it's going on in the background, and you have to basically watch, be watching them, and you know they realise they're holding each other's hand and sort of go like that. But it's um, it's it's really funny. But it's one of those things of unless you're watching, unless you're watching it, you you're not going to see it. But they mm. knew that someone would watch it and get enjoyment out of that. And what's nice about Patrick Troughton's performance is that. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna use this word a lot, but he's so magnetic. When you mm. watch, um, when you watch a, a second Doctor episode or a serial your eyes are just drawn to him always i mean mm. to the point of you're not watching anything else on the screen you're just waiting for him to sort of speak his next line yeah. or to do something because he's so watchable and like you say he's sort of so easy going but you know it's the thing of like make him angry <laughs> and mm. you know you're gonna know about it uh so yeah it's that sort of the thing that the seventh doctor kind of picked up and ran with um that he appears, you know, foolish, but that is just a, a way to get you to not see him as a threat or to disregard his disregard what he says, and then he can move in and do what he needs to do. Hmm. So, who's your number three? My number three is the eleventh Doctor. All right, uh, Matt Smith. Yes, he has rapidly shot up my my <laughs> um my list of Doctors. Um, I'll I'll hold my hands up. When I was sitting in a pub waiting to watch Eleventh Hour, I was pooing my pants because I thought, <laughs> "What if he's rubbish?" And I'd, but I thought, even if he's good, I thought, "How is he gonna step into David Tennant's shoes?" And yeah. like twenty minutes into the episode, mm-hmm. I was utterly convinced by him. I just thought, "This guy's brilliant." Yeah, he just he he gets it, and he was again. It was this whole thing of he's so magnetic. He's got all the comedy chops. He's got the dramatic chops as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's actually better at David Tennant with uh, than David Tennant at sort of the angry acting. Yeah. If you see what I mean, the kind of when the Doctor kind of gets the, fed up and shouty. Yeah, the, the, I think the switch gets flipped. Actually, when the switch gets flipped, I mean, because you know you don't see so much in the eleventh hour, but then his next episode, The Beast Below, mm. when he gets jeffed off with Amy, um, Amy's decision. Uh, uh, which I won't spoil if you haven't seen The Beast Below when he starts getting shouty he's really icy and I think it's it's just so he's so interesting to watch and he's yeah. got such a he's got such a funny face and mm-hmm. you know I just think he sort of does the kind of flaily weirdness yeah. better than Tennant did for me um, I think something that I've said in Admiral's Tables before and uh, when I've been talking to, to Shane from the Great Events Sport and History podcast about this, mm-hmm. he seems much more alien than Tennant ever did. Yeah. He seems much more, like, not of this planet. Although Earth <laughs> is his favourite planet, he's still re- removed from it almost. Yeah. And he, pr- I think he brings that across 
beautifully. And mm. it's one of, again, it's one of those things of even if the episode is a bit guff, you're going to get enjoyment out of watching Matt Smith perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, he's always great. I mean, because where I've written, I've written uh, reviews of Matt Smith's uh, nearly all Matt Smith's uh, episodes, mm. and he's just always so good. Yeah, I think. You just, I think, to be honest, we we started taking him for granted, taking how good he is for granted, frankly, mm. because you just sort of whatever happens, you're going to get a good performance out of him. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's like what I was saying on the Admiral's table, um, the last one we did about Doctor Who. Um, even though we all agreed that Nightmare and Silver was complete pile, I yeah. really liked his performance when he was possessed by the cyber planet because he really sort of got to chew the scenery there. And he never really yeah. sort of... Obviously he does to a certain extent, but it was like, it seemed to me like there he really got let off the leash. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Indeed, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to sort of play those two halves of the Doctor and also uh, the Almost People, the one with the gangers in it. Yes. Where he's got to play his gang herself mm-hmm. as well he sort of just went all out and um it's what like say just when you think you've seen the best stuff from him mm-hmm. he kind of finds another level i mean like um doing the comedic stuff but then being able to do stuff like um in the doctor's wife where mm-hmm. he's saying goodbye to idris yeah. a scene which i have yet to make it through without crying mm-hmm. um and it's all because of his performance absolutely well, my number three is the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker. And really, sort of like, you can't not put him on. Because even today, even today, when you say to somebody, Doctor Who, they think at least the bloke with the hat with the big scarf. You know? Yeah, indeed. Um, now, my choice of Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor comes with a bit of a caveat. Because there was... Get, it was getting to a point that obviously behind the scenes where he was Tom was getting really sort of like controlling and he would be yeah. very derisive of some of the scripts. Like you hear tales of him like snoring through bits he didn't like. I mean, it was just it wasn't actually asleep. He was just like putting across that he thought it was completely dull in his own sort of rather dickish way. So yeah. my sort of choice of the fourth Doctor comes kind of before. Maybe sort of, like, just before the end of his tenure. Like, just maybe once sort of uh, Lala Ward joined as Romana. Because, like, City of Death is a, just a brilliant piece of Doctor Who. So, up to so, up to that point, because his last season, um, from, from the Leisure Hive through to Logopolis, there is, it seemed he kind of, like, shifted slightly. You sort of got, got the sense that he was kind of, not necessarily fed up, but more sort of, you get the sense from Tom, he was sort of like, you know, I've been here too long, I've been here too long. And it sort of gets reflected in his performance. The fourth yeah. Doctor in that final season does come across as quite sort of tired, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah, it does make sense. And also in those ones, he looks visibly ill mm. in a lot of them, especially looks sort of... He looks old, you yeah, know, especially the like... E-Space, the E-Space trilogy. Yeah. He looks like he's on flipping Death's Door. He looks dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um I I agree. Um, he, I mean, uh, that you hear again. You hear tales of um, you know terrorizing directors mm-hmm. and um, you know really throwing his weight around. 
But it was one of those things of, you're entirely right, he, he felt like he'd been there too long. Mm-hmm. And you almost you almost wonder if they were just sort of tempting him, trying to tempt him into giving him the hook. Yeah. So, I mean, my choice of fourth doctor comes from, very much from, like, his, his earlier seasons. So, obviously, when he was uh, paired with Elizabeth Sladen and Sarah Jane Smith, because it's just that, that sort of, like, companion, uh, doctor companion pairing will be sort of eternal. You know, long before, long after, like, maybe we've left this planet and, you know, long after it's like Doctor Who finally leaves the airwaves, whenever that is, it'll sort of, like, always go down in history as sort of, like, this is the Doctor, this is his companion, you know, and he had such great stories, like Genesis of the Daleks, you know, um, Talent of Wang Chiang, Pyramids of Mars, just absolutely genius. It's, like, brilliant stories, like, stories that if you're going to get into classic Doctor Who, if you've only come in for, like, started with the newest stuff, like, if you jumped jumped on board with Chris Ferguson or David Tennant, you know, it's, it's the cream of the crop. You've, you've got to at least see, you know, Genesis of the Daleks of Pyramids of Mars, because it's just sort of... I mean, okay, yeah, the, bit, the budgets still weren't as high as, you know, as they are these days, but they do such great things with what they've got. And... It's, this is where you get like Davros, and you really get a sense of like how the Time Lords are, and so much that they're sort of stuffy and you know yeah. vicious, and sort of like got the thumbs up their asses and don't do very yeah. much while the Doctor's out there like you know kicking ass and taking names as it were. Um, so yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of that comes from Tom Baker himself mm. because Tom Baker is like that. Yeah. It's one of those things of Tom Baker is probably the last of the true British eccentrics. Mm. He, when you watch him in interviews, it's it's quite a strange experience. He's sort <laughs> of like, "What time are we going to get today?" Mm. But yeah, he's he's truly an eccentric person, yeah. um, and he's truly, I think, kind of a rebel and iconoclast. And um, because he's personally that way, mm-hmm. that comes across in his portrayal of the Doctor. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're entirely right. I mean, it's uh, if you're just taking from the beginning of his tenure. I mean, I would challenge you to find a better season than Doctor Who than season twelve. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, just uh, again, we're talking behind the scenes. You know, powerhouses like Hinchcliffe and Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, just brilliantly directed, brilliantly written, acted by people with legitimate chemistry mm-hmm. who cared about what they were doing tom's later later th- things aside those those are sort of tv classics that are going to be held up with the greatest of any other series mm. oh, absolutely yeah Ab- absolutely so you know it's if if you're doing like a top five doctors list and you haven't got the fourth doctor on you know in any capacity you know, what is wrong with you have you not been paying attention Ooh, wait till I read Chuck's list. Oh, oh, mm. oh, this is going to be interesting. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh. We'll save that till the end and we'll sort of like tell him how wrong Yeah, we'll save is. that to the end and then we'll 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 dissect it, yeah. We'll, we'll lambaste him appropriately. Yes, we will. So your number two? <laughs> is the second Doctor for ah. me. Um, yep. Um, he's one, I think, we've obviously we've talked about him a lot in when we were talking when he came up on your list. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the doctors I actually quote the most in all right, life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think all of us have, uh, you know, Doctor Who fans always have a little go-to line, you know, do yeah. like a 
Um, my one of my favourite lines of his is actually from Tomb of the Cybermen, mm-hmm. where um, he opens the door and and. Uh, Oh, how did you do that? And he said, oh, I use my secret technique of uh, keeping my eyes open and my mouth oh, shut. shut. Yes. Um, which, is one of my, which is one of the things I often uh, have to say to myself when uh, <laughs> I want to stick, stick my foot into a work meeting or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, he's just one of those, for me, he's, he's just so, like, I keep going to say the word magnetic, and he's mm. so, he, he's just such a joy to watch, and he's one of those ones, if, if I'm feeling a bit poorly, like I am today, mm. and I just want to sit under a blanket and eat some Cadbury's, I'm going to probably <laughs> stick a second Doctor story on. Mm. Uh, it, it's just like, it's chicken soup for the Doctor Who fan soul to mm. watch um, a second Doctor story, and even though a lot of his stories are kind of long, like, uh, you know, the invasion's kind of long and mm-hmm. war games is 10 bloody episodes <laughs> um you it's one of those things you, you stick on and just leave it on hmm. and watch and enjoy every minute of it and you might say oh you sort of think well i'll just watch the first episode and you watch the whole bloody thing mm-hmm. because it, it's he's so much fun to watch and he's got such great chemistry with everyone around him i mean uh as well like some of the other uh, all the guest stars people like nick courtney who popped up from time to time mm. He was just fabulous. So that's how he comes up in number two. Two for two for me. <laughs> uh, my second favourite Doctor is the 11th Doctor. Um, ah. Again, like like you say, Matt Smith had some big shoes to fill when David Tennant was leaving. And I, I still remember to this day the programme that had announced him, the special Doctor Who Confidential. And when he... I mean, it wasn't like you know, like the Doctor Who live thing that we talked about, you know, earlier. But it was just when he saw, like, there wasn't, like, even an announcement. He just, like, popped up on the screen and it said, Matt Smith, the 11th Doctor. And I was like, what? Seriously, what? Who? What? Eh? <laughs> what? what? Who's this bloke? Yeah, who's this fetus, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but within, I mean, maybe it was only, like, a couple of minutes when he just started talking and then just like the cadence of his voice. And then he sort of did this like little gesture with his fingers. So, sort of like, and it's just like, yeah, do you, do you know, it's like, you know, when you start to start to think, yeah, do you know what I can see? I can see where they're going with it. Yeah. I, yeah. Do you know what I really, yeah. Really into this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, his delivery so funny as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think one of my favourite of his lines is when they're in the 11th hour, mm-hmm. when he's, like, ranting, I've only got 20 minutes to save the world, and there's only a post office, and, and it's, it's shut. shut. <laughs> yes, it's just, and it's shut. It just makes me laugh every time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, so I was psyched for the 11th hour, and honestly, it just, honestly, within, I would say maybe it's when, even when it, like, when it, got past the fish fingers and custard scene i was like yes okay i love you you're, you're great yeah. <laughs> just keep you're doing great. that that's you're, you're right with me mate so and yeah. like, like you say i think he did sort of like the rage doctor a lot better well, more believable than tenant yes i don't mind it when tenant gets shouty but it just like seems like he's just getting shouty because that's what the script says he has to do i'm not i'm not bashing david tenant he's a great actor but Matt Smith does the sort of he has the right sort of vitriol to it, if you know what I mean. So, like in say, Victory of the Daleks, when he finally decides he's had enough of the Daleks messing around with him, which they are, they're not yes. saying it, but they are, and he starts 
going at one with this, this huge like spanner. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you are my enemy. It's like he's seriously lost it. Yeah, you know. But and, then in the same episode, he like turns it around in that he mm. goes up to that bloody shit and threatens them with a jammy dodger. Oh yes, you I know, mean, and he just... says he says, "Don't mess with me, sweetheart," like that. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, you know, it's, it's just, so funny. It, it's just he, he's just got some great writing, and he just does. I mean, even in the worst episode, like again, like I said, in Nightmare in Silver, which is really not one of his best, not one of the best no. Doctor stories, but he does like he just. He just take. He just. I mean, it's not. Maybe it's not enough to save the, the episode, but he he does a great job with it. You know, with what he's got, and it does like help. It just from writing it off completely. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's still. So, yeah. Um. Um. Something that really surprised me actually. Um. When we're in the name of the doctor. Mm-hmm. When he sees Clara and he's sitting on her sofa and she's sort of explaining what's been going on mm-hmm. and he kind of bursts into tears because yeah. he's like so... I was like, bloody hell. Mm. Like, I, I mean, that really took me aback in that, you know, no doctor has ever done that. No. You know, they always put on at least the illusion of being okay with what's going on, even in the most dire situation. Oh, you never had that your tenant burst into kind of terrified tears when... Um, you know, the the master became the master of Earth for a year mm-hmm. and he was kept in the cage and all that business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, and, you know, to sort of still, for, for the audience still to believe in him as the hero yeah, um, and stick with him, like, through that choice, I think that's really brave mm-hmm. and a really interesting thing to do with the character. Yeah, and he, he also does bring a lot of sort of, like, what I would call the infinite sadness to the Doctor. Mm very well i mean you look at the end of um closing time when he sort of like leaves craig and uh, he passes by those children on his way you know back to the tardis you know, he knows yeah. he's going to like face his quote-unquote death spoilers <laughs> and he come on if you haven't seen it by now well, come on fair enough you, you i don't listen... know why i did spoil beast below i yeah. think you've seen it or you ain't now <laughs> yeah you listen to the wrong show if you if you've not <laughs> Um, yes. But, you know, when he said to those kids, you know, I, um, I'm the doctor, I was here to help. And it just sort of, you just sort of get a sense of, he really doesn't want to go through with it, but he knows he has to. And even it gets reflected later in um, The Wedding of River Song, where he decides, you know, you know screw it, I'm going to have another sort of like farewell to her, much like the 10th Doctor did. And he's not he's not really learned from that either, because <laughs> it, it takes the fact, that um, Lethbridge Stewart's you know, passed oh, that, on. That scene is vicious. Yeah, and it's just you, you can just sort of like <coughs> you, you don't you sort of like get the emotional sense of being punched in the gut when yeah. when you see his face when he hears that you know the brig the brig's you know passed away. away. You know he didn't like die in a blaze of glory. He just like died in a bed, and he's like he often talked about the doctor and always asked the nurses to like pour an extra brandy out for when he did visit, and it's like and. When he hangs up and he just says, it's time. You know, he just, he, he knows that that's it. He can't, he can't, can't run running. anymore. No. He still gets out of it, but, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Of course. Because he's a cheating um, but, bastard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way I feel about it is they call David Tennant's Doctor the oncoming storm. Mm. But for me, the 11th Doctor is the on- oncoming storm. He mm. deserves that nickname the most out of the three we've seen yeah. so far. And, and not just in terms of like 
anger or vitriol. It's just in this sort of... It, there's almost a slight sort of chaoticness about him. You yeah. Know, when, when he's like... Even even when he's like at his happiest, he's like spinning around and like throwing leaves on the TARDIS console and he's just... He's completely bouncing off every single wall. So, you know, I think that's sort of like... There's, there's different permutations to the oncoming storm beyond, you know, yeah. the guy who comes in, wrecks shit up and just fucks off again. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's like you feel like if you hung out with him, if mm. you were going to be having fun, you'd be having the most fun ever. Oh, if yeah. you're in danger, you're in the most danger ever. Oh. There's kind of like no, there's no, no happy medium. There's no like walking away from the Magma Beast on Androsani. It's just like, uh, no. it's like, no, no, no. You're in no, deep shit. Like, if. <laughs> If the eleventh Doctor had been on Androzani, he would, you know, he would have got that bat and like brought it back to the TARDIS and like dragged it, it there, and dragged it there, and you know would have got, um, you know, a thingy. Oh god, he'd have got enough milk. Yeah, he got enough milk for both of them. He would have parked the TARDIS straight in the bad guys' um, hideout straight after, stuck his foot up all their asses, and mm. then. Um, gone off on his merry way um and he wouldn't have had to regenerate with uh, nicola bryan's cleavage in the shot (laughs) yes or be clearly a different bloke in in a week (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so yeah that's you know what what can you say and it's gonna be what can you say yeah i'm honestly you know it sounds really bad but i can't wait to see how he goes out yeah christmas special But it's one of those, yeah, he, I think he's, it, whatever it is, it's going to be huge and it's mm-hmm. going to be like getting a slap in the chops. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a sense that, you know, even more, I mean, when the 10th Doctor regenerated, I was sort of like, oh man, because it's like the sense of the, I don't want to go. And, yeah. you know, Stephen Moffat said that <laughs> effectively when the Doctor regenerates, he gets rewritten. And that's sort of been a thing amongst, throughout Matt Smith's tenure, is that time can be rewritten. But also, you know, at the end of it, the Doctor himself is going to get rewritten. He's going to be rewritten into however Peter Capaldi plays it. And if you think about that, if that if that was your life, like, like say, for example, Emma, you sort of opened a cupboard and a saucepan fell on your head and that was enough to cause... Enough to... <laughs> but I'm just saying, for example... Yeah. I'm, I'm, yes. I don't. I don't want you to go off in any. I don't want you to be hit by a bus or anything. So I'm no, giving, I'll try. I'm, I'm, just, I'm giving you an, a sort of like relatively not so bad way out, but enough to cause yeah. you to regenerate. If you knew that you were going to regenerate and you were going to walk away a completely different person, completely different like body, face, personality, likes, yeah. dislikes, wouldn't that just freak you the hell out? Oh yeah, effectively, definitely. Um... The whole idea that, as well, if we're talking about me in my life and everyone mm-hmm. else had to just deal with it as well, yeah. you know, how how would my other half react? How would my parents react? It's sort of like, um, well, to be honest, some of the people I know would probably welcome a change, but... Um... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh. But, um, yeah, it's it, it's a strange feeling. It's, one, it's a strange thing, and it's one of those things that got quite glossed over until they made a whole big deal of it in the end of time mm. that the the tenth doctor's um speech to Wilf mm-hmm. about I die and another man walks away yeah. in my place. It's this whole thing I mean, it, it sort of brings home this sort of thing of although the doctor walks in eternity, mm-hmm. as um uh, the fourth doctor says in the Pyramids of Mars mm-hmm. Like every everything dies. Uh, there's yeah. that thing that in in the episode in um 
school union. School union, you know, that mm. there's that line that um, Sarah J. Smith says, that everyone knows everyone dies, but no one knows it like the doctor. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things that comes to terms with his own mortality as well as those around him. Yeah. Not to get onto a tangent, but how do you feel about what the the revived series has done about the Doctor's regenerating and how that affects them? Because when you think about it, in the classic series, it never really seemed to be a bother. A lot of them just like faced it with dignity. Yeah. Even though it means they're going to get completely rewritten. I mean, yeah, Patrick Troughton sort of like railed against it as the uh, the second Doctor because that was being forced upon him. So yeah. obviously that 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 counts. But um, it's like um, Tom, like in Logopolis, the time yeah. has come, but the moment's been prepared Head- for. Yeah. You know, it's it like you say they they faced it as part of, I say just part of what they had to do, but. Mm. I think what's nice about the post two thousand and five stuff is that is this thing of he's getting old, yeah. and his time is running short. Mm. You know, it's that whole thing of although you know you sort of forget that because Matt Smith and David Tennant all look visually younger than yeah. they are than everyone else that have come before them, mm-hmm. but the character is now twelve hundred years old, mm-hmm. and that's young to be on your eleventh regeneration for a time lord. Yeah, but it's he's he sort of burned through them because yeah. he's. Uh, He's been on his adventures rather than mouldering and living for a long time on on Gallifrey. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think they're sort of what's it's actually nice that they're bringing in this whole thing of I haven't got long left because yeah. obviously when when you're uh, on your only on your second and third regeneration, mm-hmm. it's almost not that big a deal. Yeah, uh, you've got plenty of space left, and as well the, there's the thing of yeah the second Doctor was forced to, but if you've got people like the third the third Doctor. Mm-hmm the fifth doctor they died saving people yeah um the fifth doctor dies to save one woman the third doctor dies to save the earth mm-hmm. um from the metabelans so there's that whole heroism that comes with it yeah so this is a dignified death because i died for something mm-hmm. you know and it's it's not really until the 10th doctor dies to save wilf mm-hmm. um that he becomes okay with it to yeah. a point. Yeah, because, I mean, in that the scene just before he, you know, effectively sacrifices himself to save Wolf, he sort of... He, oh, he's angry about it. Oh, yeah, he, he's super pissed off about it. But I think that sort of ties in more to the arrogance of the Tenth Doctor himself. Yes. Because, obviously, at that point, he kind of really sort of, like, pushed himself... He, he pushed it too far, you know, yeah, especially at the end so. of War, Wars of Mars. So, like, his card's been marked... He's not going to be happy about it, but you know, that's that's it. And he he goes, "I could have done so much more." I mean, that the sheer sort of rage and sort of sense of unfairness about it really sort of like just like sends shivers down the spine. You know? Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's the thing. Although that was what was nice about Tenant's era. I think Mm -hmm. looking back on it was this whole idea of yeah, it's fun knock about the universe and you know, have adventures and fight evil or whatever, but his hubris um, Mm. really came across and it's one of the nice bit, really nice bits of Tooth and Claw Mm. in that right at the end when Queen Victoria sort of says it to his face Mm -hmm. and Rose and him go, nah, whatever, must be a werewolf for all the rest of them and they Mm -hmm. bugger off and have their next adventure. Mm -hmm. But you wonder if deep down that's kind of the start of that whole thing of, you are out having fun and doing whatever, but you're going too far. Yeah. And yeah, well, you, you could even like 
maybe call it a little bit earlier, the Christmas Invasion, his very first story as the Tenth Doctor, yeah. when he just no, he's not necessarily brutally takes down Harriet Jones because you can sort of like this sort of there's very sort of shades of grey in that bit because yes, the Sycorax could go into space and say, oh look, don't go to Earth, you know, it's def- it's defended. But at the same time, there's nothing to stop them from coming back and trying it again. So in that sense... Yeah, exactly, it's exactly what Harriet Jones says, in that yeah. you're not always here. Yeah, yeah. We've got to look after ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, and so yeah. when he when he takes her down in that way, I mean, which is... He doesn't even do it to her face. He plants the yeah. seed in the mind of his her aide. You know, he, he says yeah. those six little words, don't you think she looks tired? And you know it doesn't. It doesn't have to take a huge, great, whacking political scandal like Watergate to bring someone down. You know, it's just. Yeah. It can just be like. I mean, I think he even gets like shades of that when like Tony Blair was giving it up. You know, it's like. Um, whole, I think. You know I think I mean? the whole Harriet Jones. I think to me, the Harriet Jones scene recalled Thatcher firing on the Belgrano. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah that's that. That's yeah. That's probably where. That's probably the more apt. The Falcons War, basically, um, the General Belgrano was, uh, was it the flagship of the, the Argentinian I fleet? think it was the flagship, yeah, yeah. I think so. And this was before I was born. Yeah, so. it was before I was born. Oh, no, we were born, yeah, sorry, my yeah, bad, yeah, so right. excuse us. It's all right, um, but what, <laughs> happened, what happened was it was returning to Argentina, you know, the British had repelled the invasion, and... Maybe whether it's like just a warning to the Argentinians or just out of sheer spite, Thatcher ordered the Belgrano destroyed, and they did. It sank. It got taken out. Um, and that's very reminiscent of what happened with Harriet Jones and the Sycorax. She orders Torchwood to shoot the Sycorax ship down, even though they were leaving. You know, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, you know, the, I think that with... Um, I think another good example of that kind of that arrogance mm-hmm. of... I run the show. I think is a good is a good thing. It's in um, school reunion where he's having yeah. the confrontation with Anthony Head's character, mm. and it's the one thing of I'm so old now. I used yeah. to have so much mercy. You get one warning, that was it. Yeah, right. So yeah. those like those four lines. It's like I'm the doctor. Respect this. You know, do as I tell you, or face the consequences of which may involve your death. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably will actually knowing <laughs> yeah. him um it's that whole that, that whole arrogance thing of you know i'm i say what is the morally correct position mm. and you comply to it or face my wrath essentially yeah so i think that's enough tangents what's who's your number one um i'm going with the fourth doctor for my, my number one mm. it's a thing of you always go with your first doctor, I think. And yeah. although um, I became a fan in the hi- in the long hiatus, mm-hmm. um, four oh five, Tom Baker was the first doctor I ever saw. And like you say, he he is the iconic face of Doctor Who mm-hmm. to this day. I think, like you said, you know, if you go out on the street and ask anyone, name some things about Doctor Who, they're probably gonna say Dalek Tardis, Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. He's he is the doctor as far as a lot of people are concerned. Oh, yeah. You can argue to the cows come home about whether his performance is definitive, mm-hmm. um, but um, I think just the sheer the, his sheer charisma and the strength of a lot of his early stories. I mean, you could say about the key to time, it starts to get a bit shaky. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know the quality is a bit more variable mm-hmm. but like I, like I say I would I would defy you to find a better sequence of stories than season 12 yeah you know if uh, even stories like robots of death and mm. uh face of evil and mm. oh, it just, it just it, terror of the zygons you know the list goes on and on and on about it's just all, almost all of these stories are just stone cold classics mm. so yeah i'm again we've we've spoken about the fourth doctor when you picked him on your list so yeah i, I completely acknowledge that his later series are not too good and his off-screen behavior was pretty shoddy mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of it but I just for me, just my sheer enjoyment of his his stories, his good work, kind of overwhelms the negative part of his uh, his time. I think for me, mm-hmm. yeah. So for my number one, and you said it yourself when you when you chose yours, you sort of like go with your first doc, the first doctor you saw. And so my number one doctor, this might be a bit controversial, but I'm going to say the seventh. Hold on, doctor. hold on. Oh. Yep. Brace yourself. The seventh doctor. Ooh, okay. Now, obviously, he didn't get too much of a good tracker on the TV. But, yeah. you know, amidst some of the, the dross, and the, let's be honest, there is, like, some pretty bad stories in Sylvester McCoy's run. However, yeah. when you have things like Remembrance of the Daleks, Ghostlight, Curse of Fenric, even those three stories just sort of send him above and beyond. And like you had with the second Doctor before him, yeah, he came across as a bit of a buffoon, but even more so, even more so in the seventh persona, you got a sense of he had a plan. And not just only he had a plan, he's been planning it for a long time. He's been on the ball way before maybe even the whole thing even started. Because, I mean, take Remembrance of the Daleks. Yeah. That's pretty much an entire... The whole thing almost seems like to be almost set up by him just to completely wipe the Daleks out. I mean, obviously, it doesn't take. But, you know, it's just the sheer sort of... The fact that he uses Davros's own sort of, like, spitefulness and vengefulness against him. You know, he sort of mocks him openly. You know, unlimited rice pudding, pudding, etc., etc. And then when Davros actually starts to go through with the threat to launch the Hand of Omega to, like, help the Daleks conquer time he starts to go oh no no don't don't use it don't use it please i'm begging you don't use the hand of omega and that puts davros exactly where the seventh doctor wants him to be it's like davros is thinking right okay you're starting to beg now i'm actually going to do it and of course it comes back and bites him and yeah okay you can silver nemesis I, I don't actually mind silver nemesis too much but right, it is basically yeah. it is basically remembrance of the cybermen it's pretty exactly much, yeah. it's 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 bizarre i mean so no, i can't it's got a lot of weird bits in it i, yeah. I think it's like the two skinheads and yeah. the new social workers and all that stuff <laughs> it, it, it's sort of like oh my god cut this shit out get rid yeah. of it it's really unnecessary but then you have to have something to differentiate it slightly from remembrance of the dark because it's pretty much yeah. the same story you know, with mm. the exception of Lady Painforce, you know, and um, her, her, you know, servant coming forward in no, time, lucky. yeah, yeah, to to claim the Nemesis because I mean the Nemesis itself is a Gallifreyan product, mm. and you've got Nazis in them, and you know, okay, there weren't any Nazis in uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, but it was made pretty clear that uh, the character of Ratcliffe was a sympathizer, and he got done for it, and. Mm. The, the end game involves the 
the main enemies in in both cases the Daleks and the Cybermen using you know the Gallifreyan product to work out. I mean it's it's such a sort of I don't want to say rip off. It's more sort of like a, a direct like a carbon copy. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, it's almost it's, yeah. It's, it's sort of a bit like it's two different writers, but it's I don't know. It's it's very it's a very bizarre little thing because it it's it's such the the like the carbon copies of one another. So mm. I, I don't know whether they're just it's just a coincidence that they've had the same idea and that's how it's turned out. But at the very end of the story, when the the doctors when the, the doctor and Nays are playing chess back in the sixteen hundreds, and she says. Just like how you nailed the Daleks, and that was the bit where it's like, yeah. of course, it's it's completely yeah. <laughs> the it's just this one episode less, but it's the same thing, yeah. Yeah, I think with that, it's it's almost like the two writers they it's like those like writing exercises where you have like oh. here's the scenario, yeah. and here's where you have to get to, and this is how many episodes you've got, yeah. And they went off and wrote these two different episodes, mm-hmm. but because they all come from the same core idea they're kind of similar yeah or you could look at it as like when they made uh silver nemesis they were looking back and on the dalek episode and went right well that worked mm-hmm. and we really liked what we did with ace we really like what we did with the seventh doctor mm-hmm. we really like that kind of that whole like master plan-y kind of thing um and we want to do it again but better and with cybermen this mm-hmm. time the thing is that i think as well there's a when you get wherever you get the Cybermen, they're always trying to get rid of them yeah. because um, <coughs> fundamentally, the Cybermen whisper it are a bit rubbish. So and or they've always got a plan which is always going tits up. Mm-hmm. So and they're always on the verge of dying. And I think as well in Silver Nemesis, the Cybermen costumes look particularly shitty. Mm. Um, I quite like the 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 transparent chin plate. Mm. Sort of dial- the side men because I like I like that you can see the chin moving because um, it kind of reminds you that they are cyborgs essentially yeah. they've got human bit they've got fleshy bits so it's kind of the whole organic. thing of their they're sort of partly organic so I mm. quite like that thing of you can see that they're kind of deteriorating yeah. Um, but yeah I, I think um, with the seventh Doctor. Mm-hmm. If if they were making the Seventh Doctor's era now, mm-hmm. they would have been allowed to do a lot more of this whole story building. Yeah, and you know what what has in retrospect been called the Cartmel Master Plan, mm-hmm. which um, is quite a, a hefty uh, a hefty piece of um, theory. So I would yeah. encourage anyone who's not aware of it to go and have a read up again. Google it. There's mm-hmm. plenty of information out there. Um, but if they'd been allowed to execute, if it indeed existed, if they'd been allowed to execute that plan to the extent that they wanted to, mm. I think the Seventh Doctor would be much higher regarded and would probably be up as high, maybe number one in a lot of people's lists. Yeah. But because that TV just didn't work that way back then, no. really they were thinking 10 years too advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the the general decline in Doctor Who overall... They just didn't have the viewing numbers to justify making that big of a a leap in the way that they made the show. Yeah. They they didn't have enough ammo to say, we want to change it fundamentally mm-hmm. and do this whole overarching story, which people just didn't do, in, apart from in soaps in those mm-hmm. days. It was really sort of a, not until NYPD Blue came along about three years after the show had finished in here yeah. that you were getting overarching stories and, you know, characters which started off as unlikable and then changed and mm-hmm. you came to like them. You know, mm-hmm. we talked about um, 
you were saying about going off when we went off on a bit of a tangent about talking about the Doctor's response to regeneration, the whole mm. thing of the sixth Doctor being very violent towards Perry. Yeah. And then the whole idea was that he would be that way for a season and then over time the character would soften and you yeah. would get to you would get to know him better and you would understand the sixth doctor better because mm-hmm. Colin Baker wanted to be there he wanted to beat Tom Baker's record he wanted to be there for over 7 years he wanted so he was he was wow. for the long haul ah. so you know yeah that went well um <laughs> but the whole idea i think that really what the if we're talking about the tv the seventh doctor was done a massive disservice mm-hmm. by the time he was being the doctor yeah but i mean what's great about it is he, the Sebastian McCoy but he does get to get these like great sort of speeches i mean for example yeah. in remembrance of the daleks when he talks about decisions to um the butler from fresh prince of bel air um yeah. he says <laughs> Well, that was him. Yeah, I mean, it's like no. Um, I always, I always watch the story. And go, oh shit! That's the front of Ricky Bellet. I, I call it the Harrison Ford in uh, Apocalypse Now paradigm, where you sort of yes. like, you watch Apocalypse Now and you sort of like you, you never remember that Harrison Ford's in it until he shows up and he's like really young looking. And it's like shit. That's Harrison oh, Ford. Yeah. Where the fuck yeah. did he come from? <laughs> no, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Getting back to the Seventh Doctor, you know, his speech about decisions, you know, like, it's sort of, like, you do get a sense of how much it weighs upon him. He knows what he has to do, but he knows how much it sort of, like, troubles him to, it kind of troubles him to do so, he knows he has to do it. He says, you know, like, every decision creates ripples, like a boulder dropped into a lake, the ripples merge and bounce off the banks in more unforeseeable ways, the larger the boulder, the greater the waves, the more more uncertain the consequences. Things like that. And... You know, I, I mean, say what you will about Battlefield, but that speech where he talks to Morgane about, you know, nuclear devastation, that's, you know, a child looks up into, into the skies, his eyes turn to cinders, you know, there's no tears, only ashes, you know, is this war sort of thing. So he, did, he does get some great, it's some brilliant moments, brilliant moments. I mean, in, um, was it, I think it was the Happiness Patrol where he confronts the two snipers. And yeah. he, and oh, he that's just, a brilliant bit. Yeah, and he just talks them down. He, he, mm. he just he and he talks them down by you know goading them into shooting. Well, the, the more tricky, happy one anyway. He goads him. He goads him. You know, he goes. You know, it's it's quite simple. You, you're the why you're scared. You're the one with the gun. It's it's really simple. You know, a life taken life. You know, look me in the eyes, pull the trigger, end my life. And the the sniper finds he can't do it. He says, No, you can't. You don't know why you can't do it. Can you, you throw away your gun? Yeah, it's just. Yeah, it, it. I think had he had they sort of like sorted out what they wanted to do with him, because like yeah. Sylvester McCoy said it said it in like interviews and on commentaries, he had an idea of what he wanted to do, but the way his first season was, where he was a little bit more clownish. Yeah, he did, he did have moments, but it was a lot slightly more buffoonery, and he said it was like turning a great ship in the ocean. You know, it yeah. wasn't going to be you know. It, it, this is what the, the seventh doctor is going to be like. You have to sort of like go to the writers and like say, well, yeah, you know, that's that's great, but I want to sort of like do it this way. And I don't even know like if in back of the day that was the sort of you know thing. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it's you know, just don't. I think like I was saying a second ago, it's you can't turn a ship around. That basically in the BBC, this is still regarded as a kids show. Mm. 
you then it's difficult and you know not a very successful one mm. it's it's difficult to then sit with an executive at the BBC having just had Ken Dodd on your show yeah to then say um yeah we want to do something really serious and we want to you know do a great big story arc and we want to mm. do this this and this they're gonna go sod off we ain't doing that yeah. just go back to making some stupid crap and you yeah. know we'll stick it on a tea time before match of the day you know it's um it like i like i say i think by the time they wanted they knew they wanted to do it it was too late mm-hmm. the, the ship had sailed and it's really unfortunate for sylvester mccoy mm-hmm. really i think it's it's sad that he didn't get the chance to to do it i mean when you when you compare things like delta and the bannerman mm-hmm. To Ghostlight, which is one of my favourite stories ever. Mm. Ghostlight is a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. It's one of those things of every time I watch it, I discover something new about it. Mm. And um, it's one of those stories, even though I've seen it maybe a dozen times at this point, mm-hmm. it's sort of like about halfway through, you're like, right, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll have to do what, that one, I think. What What is Control doing now? And all yeah. this sort of thing, you know, and what's, what's there's so strange? much to unpack in it. Yeah, it's such a strange suits. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a strange little story, Mm. and you think, how can this come from the same people who just made Delta and the Bannerman? Yeah, which is an exceptionally silly and weird episode. (laughs) But I think Delta and the Bannerman is interesting because you could see like a companion we could have had if they had had not gone for Ace. Yeah, indeed. I don't. I don't know if, in retrospect, Ray would have worked as well as Ace because. You know, for all, you know, so it was Sophie Aldred's bouncing around, like blowing stuff up and calling people toe rags. There was, you know, it was a lot more to Ace than her surface appearance. Like she was kind of damaged, really. Yeah, she was damaged. I think there's there's the whole thing, if you can take it as a surface thing, if she got employed because, right, teenagers are like that right now, yeah. aren't they? They're, they're you get kids. this whole thing of, <laughs> those are what kid, that's what the kids are like in the rip-roaring late 80s and mm. modern times and all that bomber jackets <laughs> and With the not and swearing the... and... Yeah, boxes you know, the... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole has the speech she gives in, um, I think, survival about you know skinheads blowing up a. Is it set fire to her friend's flat or yeah, shop or something? Yeah, yeah. She's like sort of this deeply damaged kind of estate kid from mm. from North London, and you think it's one of those, again, it's one of those things of if this wasn't perceived as a kid show. Mm-hmm. If if it was taken seriously as a drama mm-hmm. with sci-fi elements or a science fiction show with dra- dramatic bits, mm-hmm. rather than it being light entertainment, it was in the drama yeah. sphere, mm-hmm. they would have been able to do much more with that. And yeah. that's why I like Ghostlight. That's why I say Curse of Fenric. Bringing those things out of Ace mm-hmm. is really important and you wouldn't have the companions we have today without that relationship. No. And, you know, even though he got... Uh, he really did get a short shift in the TV movie, but what you, you saw of Sylvester McCoy in that was, I thought it was just, like, great. I mean, yes, he got one of the most ignominious deaths of any of the Doctors, but, you know, when you just, when you first see him for for the first, when you see him for the first time in, you know, what, seven years? And, yeah. I mean, yeah, he does look older, so you do get a sense that he's, you know, travelled a lot more beyond, you know, walking off with Ace at the end of Survival. And, yeah. you know, just just those, even though he doesn't have much in the way of, like, dialogue, those bits, you know, when he's trying to, like, control the uh, the the crashing TARDIS and 
then he goes over to see like the master's casket open and it's just this look of just sheer sort of oh no because yeah it's almost like you get a sense of he knows this is kind this might be it for him yeah. you know it's, it's like you just like obviously the immediate reaction is the master's not completely dead he's broken out somehow and he's you know it's made the tardis you know wreck but there's just like a, a little sense in his eyes it's like this might not turn out very well for me yeah no <laughs> kidding know. so yeah that that's my my number one sylvester mccoy I, I just i can't i can't help it i love the guy yeah and you know he's, he's such a fascinating doctor to talk about though mm. i think you know say what you like about some of the others i you know it in terms of unpacking his character and sort of the behind the scenes stuff and his stories, so much to talk about with him. Mm. So interesting. And so much that could have been. Yeah, that's that's the that's, kicker. When you really get into yeah. it, yeah, it's absolutely galling and you sort of think, I wish they'd been able to just have one more season and, yeah. and you know, really, really give it a go. But you, unfortunately, I think at that point, you know, the will had gone. Well, the, and the BBC let, themselves be honest, were just against them. I mean, they they put it up against, against the fucking Coronation Street. Yeah, know. and you know, and they're look, they're looking over the pond and going, and you know, they're the United States. They're putting out Star Trek: The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. You know, it started in ninety. You know, say what you like about the first season, and God knows I have um, <laughs> of of TNG. If you compare TNG to season twenty six of Who, mm-hmm. it's like amateur hour, and yeah, you know the next level, you know, and I can't believe that someone's looking over the pond and going, shit on my ass. What are we going to do? We just can't compete with it. Sigh. Sigh. So then, the time has come. The time has come. What does your other half say? Right. So my other half has a completely contrary list to the two of us. Um, In a, yeah, in in a number five, he has the fifth doctor. Now, see, I, hmm, see, if it was, I would probably would have put Fifth Doctor a little bit higher because I do, I do enjoy his tenure. I think his persona was maybe he's a little bit vanilla. Yes, um, indeed, yeah. But, you know, I think Peter Davidson did have some good stories. I mean, actually, one of my favourite ones out of all of his tenure is not Earthshock or, like, Resurrection of the Daleks or anything like that. It's actually The Visitation. It's one of my, yeah, one of my I, favorites. It's just, I like The Visitation. It's, it's just a nice little sort of bit of fluff. There's not, it's not like, sort of earth-shattering consequences or, you know, it's not like a game-changer or anything like that, but it's just a sort of, like, a, a, a nice sort of story and, you know, if you have things like Kinder, which is very sort of, um, I don't know if philosophical is quite the word for it, but you know what I mean? It's very sort of spiritual and, and you know, with, with like the the whole sort of concept of the Mara being sort of like like a personification of evil. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, even before, like the likes of Fenric, you know, so I, I personally might, might have put Fifth Doctor slightly higher. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I'm sort of in the... Same camp as you in that it, I don't dislike his stories. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot to enjoy. Also, I think the Fifth Doctor's era uh, definitely suffers for having too many bodies in the TARDIS. Yeah, and you know I think that it's sort of the beginning of that whole thing of it's starting to look a bit creaky and outdated. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the way that they shot it, which is if you listen to the commentaries, Janet Fielding, who played Tegan, brings up a hell of a lot, and she's <laughs> right to. 
Is it is hair? That... <laughs> no, it's not a hair. <laughs> Although, well, if you listen to the Earthshock, yeah, the, uh, the Earthshock commentary, that is literally all she talks about. Mm-hmm. But um, if you look at them, how they play it, when there's four of them in there, mm-hmm. they're all standing like in a line. It's staged. And it's so stagey. It's so mm-hmm. stagey. And it's not very di- dynamic. It's It's like they're putting a stage play on. You know, and I think they all—they're all a bit awkward, and they don't really know what to do. And yeah, you've all got to yeah. see their faces, and you, can, you yeah. can't—you cannot have—you cannot have any of the TARDIS crew with their back to camera. It seemed like no, it's never. Like, uh, you know, it, it's the thing of none of them got enough screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them really had a chance because they there were so many of them, and they never had really a chance to develop their characters how they wanted. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I agree. I think the Fifth Doctor comes across as quite vanilla, especially sort of having, you know, the living rubber ball slash mentalist that is Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. You know, poor the Pete, poor old Peter Davison. After that, does seem like a bit of a poor relation. But if you watch his stories in isolation, there's a hell of a lot to enjoy there. Mm. Okay, so his number four was the Eleventh Doctor. Okay. Mm. Yeah, he's he's not. So Chuck is, although he enjoys his stories, I don't think he's quite as into the Doctor as we are. Mm. You know, in this thing of like, you know, he's good, but I like other people better. Is, you, is think, his... you think maybe he sort of like thinks that Matt Smith's a little bit like too over the top? Yeah, I, I would I say see, so. I can yeah. see where people would have that sort of like issue with Matt Smith because he's he's very energetic. He's very yeah. he's he's like one of those sort of like super bouncy balls. He just like cane it against a wall and it just takes, takes out, off you know just yeah. takes off and smashes a vase or something and that's, yeah, that, I, that is pretty much what matt smith's like so i can i can see how why you would think that but um yeah we, we t- yeah i know we tend to disagree but you know i think matt smith walks a very a, quite a fine line mm. um he sort yeah. of goes right up to the edge of it and you you either go with that as a performance or you don't so yeah i think yeah I but think... it's still his number he's still in number four out of yeah. 12 so yeah I yeah. think Matt Smith goes up to the line and sort of jumps back and forth across it a couple of times yes. just to see if anybody notices. Like Homer, just... like Homer at the, the American Embassy in Australia. America, <laughs> Australia, America, Australia. So, <laughs> number three, he's got the seventh Doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I think we've had a good talk about the seventh Doctor. Yeah. Um, in at number two, which surprised me, actually, he's got the tenth Doctor in at number two. Um mm-hmm. Which, uh, knowing knowing my beloved, is quite in- an interesting choice. Um, I didn't think he would have him there. But yeah, it uh, rates him over Matt Smith, so there we go. Mm-hmm. And his number one is mm-hmm. someone we have not yet mentioned at all, is the third Doctor. Ah, yeah. You know, I, t- hmm. I do um, the third Doctor. Say, yeah, the third Doctor is Chuck's first Doctor. Mm-hmm. Again, it's coming back to that thing. So, I mean, he... He is uh, old and ancient enough to have watched him on broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting. Uh, um, so yeah, he's he remembers um, John Pertwee on broadcast. So that mm. I think has a big uh, influence. Only just though, he just about remembers the Green Death. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he he's just. I think with the thir- the third Doctor these days is quite an unfashionable Doctor to like. It's it, you know it's one of those things of which Doctor is kind of the fan the fan favourite and which Doctor is stories are quite unfashionable kind of changes. Yeah. I 
um, you know, talking about the Fifth Doctor, he quite he kind of got a big revival a few years ago. People were going back to his stories and looking at them again and mm-hmm. saying, you know, there's a lot to enjoy here. Whereas before, he was really tragic, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, and I think the Third Doctor is kind of going through one of those periods at the moment. Yeah, I think you can watch the Third Doctor's era and say, well, he's quite authoritarian. Mm-hmm. He's very sort of in with the the nobility, you know, hobnob, yeah. you know, saying, oh, I know this bloke. Her, Chairman Mao and mm-hmm. you know all these sort of people and you think that's not the doctor he doesn't knock about with all these aristos and yeah. you know drink drink posh wine and uh, <laughs> cheese, cheese nibbles while he's waiting on the dogs to show up and yeah, exactly you know and yeah. I, it's I just think... it's not what he, he just seems a bit out of place especially mm. again Followed, being followed by Tom Baker, who's very much a rebel. Mm-hmm. And again, post-2005, all these doctors are very much out on their own, are very yeah. against author- any sort of authority, mm-hmm. pretty much. But the doctor is part of that authority as the third doctor. He's part of unit, albeit not really by his choice. Mm-hmm. And I think the way he behaves towards his companions, particularly Joe, although I love Joe, mm-hmm. it's very much a sort of father-daughter kind of fairly... If you read it, you can read it as quite a fairly condescending relationship. Yeah. It's slightly patronising. I mean, slightly patronising, yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's okay. Shall we be a, bit, a little bit honest and say Joe Grant was not exactly the sharpest tool in the box? Oh, bless her heart, she's not. But it, yeah. it's sort of because she she's a direct response to um, Caroline this, John. Or, yeah, mm. this sure who was too clever by half, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm. So you go from yeah. like the the pretty pretty much Eight equal eights. to sort of like the. You know, what is it, Doctor? Oh, what is it, Doctor? Doctor, what is it? Sort of companion, which I always kind of... I never really sort of, like, liked those companions because I always I always liked the companions just to be able to hold their own. Not necessarily be greater than the Doctor, but, you know, sort of, like, not sort of completely rely on him to explain the situation. Like, the, like someone would be able to, like, sort of get the gist of the situation. Do you know what I mean? But it's like yeah. it would take the doctor to sort of like go like really into the nitty gritty. So like 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 again, I say Sarah Jane Smith. You know, she's even even though she sort of like got hypnotized a lot and captured a lot. Yeah. You know, there's 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 moments where she she has like some great moments and some kind of random moments actually. Now that I think about Pyramids of Mars, because the fact that she can handle a rifle and shoot a little really like, accurately, yeah, and a little explosive <laughs> like sort of. A hundred feet away, and then it never comes up again ever. No, ever. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that um, I mean, we were watching. Oh goodness, what are you watching? You're watching Ambassadors of Death, right? Mm-hmm. And we had a bunch of people around, and it was before we watched the leather. It we were watching um, the latest series, mm-hmm. and there's that bit with the Third Doctor kind of magically sort of goes and uh, uh, makes um, that kind of tape that magnetic roller magnetic tape appear like out yeah. of his sleeve, <laughs> and I said. To, to all and sundry if the 11th Doctor did that people would lose their minds mm-hmm. people would go absolutely fucking crazy go this is like ridiculous and Moffat's going too far and all this sort of thing but mm-hmm. you forget that they used to do weird things like that back in the day <laughs> yeah well I mean that was kind of well what everybody kind of forgets was John Pertwee was a comedian yep before he was. before he became the Doctor I mean he was um, was it the Navy Lark I think it was yes so, it was Navy Lark Although his Doctor's a lot more serious, he does have those moments. I mean, for example, when he sort of does the trick with the pencil in uh, the Three Doctor to explain how Omega's sort of like 
antimatter pocket universe sort of works. He has the trick with the pencil and it sort of like disappears, even though it's just like a you know the stage sort of trick of like it being have like a, a a spring on it, so it's like just gets pulled up his sleeve and then he sort of pulls out the bunch of flowers for Joe. You know, so it's like touches like that. I mean, I don't. I, I for the most part, I like uh, John Pertwee the Doctor. Just mm. some of the stories I have. I think the problem I have with his tenure is I think they did the whole sort of exile to Earth shtick a little bit too long. I th- yeah, I think and, it lasted you know, because a lot of the time, a lot of okay, yeah, we could say the same. Like a lot of the threats against Earth happened like a lot within there. It was like always like some evil corporation or, or something coming up from the bottom. And a lot of people like say about the Ninth Doctor's lone season, it was very Earth centric. But I think you know for the first couple of years of John Pertwee's time, it was a lot worse. I think purely yeah. because purely because he was restricted to one part part of time and space. You know, Earth mm. in the nineteen seventies or eighties or whatever the hell it was supposed to be. Oh, don't get into that. <laughs> that that um, is a hornet's nest. Yeah, um, but I th- yeah, I think because because he was so stuck, if you know what yeah. I mean. I mean, yeah, they sort of like went like to different parts of England, but there was never any sense of. I mean, it was the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Let's not forget that. I don't buy all this unified you intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't get that still to this day. Something you know, you, what, the actual UN got more to worry about. Yeah, I mean, they didn't. They didn't. They say like, we, oh, we don't want it to be. You'd think they'd be all right. Like, yeah, sure. We've got. We've got a, like, even though it's a fictional branch, we've got a branch that are fighting you know, monsters. I, I'd be cool with that. You know, that'd be cool. I would say I, I wouldn't mind something fighting like bloody King Ghidorah. I was like, where is the UN? Yeah, you know, I, I want a uni, uni, United Nations Intelligence Task, Task Force to fight monsters. Yeah, you know, it's like that thing with the WWF for pandas and the WWF for wrestling. You aren't <laughs> going to confuse the two. No, but yet now the WWF and the WWE. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although pandas wrestling, no, actually, that would be bad. Um, no, that's rubbish. Pandas no. are rubbish. I'm going to say that now. <laughs> Fuck pandas. <laughs> you get arrested for that, I think. Um, no. <laughs> but dumb tish. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I think, I think, um, I think to be honest, as much as I love Roger Delgado and, mm-hmm. and harbour quite a big crush on him when I see him, um, <laughs> he... It's, it's too much of him. There's that mm. whole season with him in, which yeah. is literally every story is the master. And as much as you enjoy it on an individual basis, mm-hmm. I can't imagine watching that live and then going, oh, him again. Yeah. Bloody hell, has he been on for the last 16 weeks? I mean, you certainly could, you sure as hell couldn't see them doing it with Anthony Ainley or, you know, John Sim. Cause, no. you know, Can you imagine if season of the whole of season three was all the John, master with John, John Sim? Sim? God. There would be the streets god i mean i love john Simmons the master he, he you know completely went balls to the wall with it but yeah that mm, I, I, that would not work so i think yeah i i do i do like john purdy as, as the doctor maybe he's a little bit too stuffy and authoritarian you know yeah. even though he has a you know huge problem with the military you know especially units if even though he's authoritarian I don't, I don't. He has he has a problem when it suits him to a problem. Yeah, I think is the is the thing there. It's one of those things of I think it's, which it's is slightly unpleasant about his doctor. It's sort of a bit like you are useful now, mm-hmm. so I will stay here. Yeah, but yeah. as soon as you do something that goes off my again goes off my moral reservation, I'm going to throw the biggest drop you've ever seen. Because mm-hmm. you know it's that thing in the Silurians. What else is the brig going to do? 
yeah. really, in this situation, mm-hmm. except what he has to do. Yeah. And really, his orders come down and he has to obey them. Yeah. So the Doctor can be an, as upset about that as he likes, but it's mm-hmm. that whole thing, like we said about Harriet Jones, yeah. you ain't always here, yeah. so what are we going to do? You know, mm-hmm. it, and, you, and you're here now, but you're stuck and you ain't much good to us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that sort of, uh, that sort of, you can, you, I, in that story, mm-hmm. always end up on Lethbridge Stewart's side. Mm. Yeah. It's not often that you, you're in opposition to the Doctor because he's our hero and you tend to go with what he says mm-hmm. because in the end it makes sense. But sometimes I do find myself going with the Brig and, um, especially when, you know, you're talking about the, thir- the, 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 uh, doctors when the brig kind of ends up being befuddled straight man mm. to the doctor's antics you sort of think you poor sod you have yeah. up with this all the time you got paid for this yeah you know and um <laughs> you, you do sort of you do sort of understand the brig's exasperation with him oh yeah because the doctor especially in his first season he treats the brig like absolute garbage mm-hmm. oh absolutely absolutely so obviously there's some points of commonality in, in so much as there's doctors we haven't mentioned so I don't know if it'd be yes. worth taking the time to like yeah let's do that picture. so obviously the first doctor bless his heart I think it's it's the whole thing of the early instalment weirdness yeah. comes out of it mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of the whole thing of Hartnell is quite acerbic mm-hmm. the way it's again I don't I although I enjoy the companions I mean I've got a lot of time for Ian and Barbara love mm-hmm. Ian and Barbara they just don't seem to gel as well as a unit for me. Mm. And I think because of Hartnell's age or his, un- you know, and his notorious um, grumpiness, yeah. let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, he's, he, was, he was not an easy man to work with. You know, I don't like to speak ill of those who have passed on, but, um, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, he cared deeply about the show. I mean, famously, he... Um, he he memorized the layout of the TARDIS console, mm. and when they were doing a specific thing, he always pressed the same series of buttons yeah. because he knew. He said he knew that the kids at home would notice mm-hmm. and care about those things, and mm. so in that respect, brilliant. But I think, in terms of his performance, I, he just doesn't strike me the same way as the others do. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean. Like like I like I said at the top of the show, I I can find like good and bad in all the doctors, you know. Even, and you know there, there are there are stories I I enjoy of of William Hartnell's. I mean, my favorite of his is the Time Meddler. Above yeah, all, Time Meddler is brilliant. Yeah, the Aztecs is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I really like the Romans as well because yeah. um, like that whole that whole kind of trickster thing comes yeah. out a lot in the Romans as well. Like when he's pretending to be the the. Um, musician mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing yeah in all that business with the guys that his tongue his tongue cut out and all this sort of business um yeah there's a it, there's some great stories there but no it's just it's not is not enough to get him up a list for me mm. yeah so <laughs> the sixth doctor oh bless the sixth doctor i think um, I think had he not had they not gone with the decision to make him completely unlikable from the get go, I think he yep. would have he would have maybe survived a little bit longer than he had. And yep. you know, I mean, it was an interesting decision to make yes. him a little bit more sort of more dangerous because let's face it, he is pretty bloody dangerous. 
You don't want yeah, to get, you do you, not want to get on his bad side. And even if you try not to get on his bad side, chances are you probably are going to get on his bad side somewhere along the way. So, uh, I think, yeah, maybe he keeps some of it, but just like if they just scaled it back, if they had, if he hadn't, I mean, really, I think it, the the beginning and the end of his tenure was when he strangled Perry. I mean, yes, okay, yeah, you can, no you kidding, he can write off to post regeneration trauma, and you know, obviously he'd been poisoned by Spectrox toxemia in his previous incarnation, but that was that was like. Uh, it was beyond the pale wasn't it really yeah it crossed the line big style yeah it crossed the line big time and the fact that the twin dilemma Mm -hmm. is such a bad story Mm -hmm. it it, um i mean i was again i was talking to chuck about this because he he watched it as it went out and i Mm -hmm. said to him i can't imagine how it must have felt to lose the fifth doctor Mm -hmm. which you know a lot of people liked a lot yeah and then your, your first story is the t- is the twin dilemma yeah. where he throttles the companion he's completely off the reservation mm-hmm. and then it's over again and then the season stops so you've got to wait what six months for your next story mm-hmm. i can't imagine as a fan how that must have felt to fester on those feelings and yeah. go like this guy is so bad and this is such a bad decision it's no wonder that people started turning off in droves yeah and the fact that even when the show did come back for its following season, the the relationship between the Doctor and Perry was still it wasn't as antagonistic. Practice. Yeah, but yeah, because they, they were. I mean, if you watch Remembrance, Revelation. Sorry, Rev- I always get them ones mixed up. <laughs> Revelation. If you watch Revelation, like right at the beginning, they're just mingy and like you know, mm. just like a like me and my brother when we get pissed off with each other. Me, 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 like, it's that yeah. whole thing, you know, it's like, oh, please, can we just get past this? Well, the, you know. Yeah, the thing with Revelation I found was I actually thought that wasn't as bad. It's like they yeah. actually started to warm to one another. Yeah, they start, so, it's starting, but it's just, it's, you're at that point where it's like, I'm now sick of this. Please yeah. move on, you know? Yeah. I mean, it actually did, you know, uh, during the trial of Time Lord, that's actually when they were at the best. Yeah, yeah like um, Mysterious Planet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because when he, even like when he says to Perry about the fact that they've discovered that um, the planet they're on is actually Earth, has just been completely fucked over. He says, yeah. you know, stars <coughs> come and come and go. You know, they they exist and then they perish. You know, nothing is eternal. And he does it in such a sincere way. In, yeah. But in his own sort of like time lordy way, like he sees eternity. You know, it's, it's like it's just like yeah, okay. It, it, you know, it, it sucks. I sympathise, but you know that's that's how it goes. But he he does it in such like a a sort of sympathetic way. You know, it's like yeah, yeah I, I I know this this totally sucks. Yeah. So I think yeah, I mean Colin Baker. I'm sure Colin Baker's a lovely bloke. I mean, I've never yeah, had a chance again, to meet yeah. him. Um, I I met him recently, and yeah, he's an absolute delight, and he's mm-hmm. such a he, he speaks. If you, if you listen to him speak, I mean, obviously things have changed a lot and there was a lot of bad blood between him and personnel at the BBC. Mm-hmm. But obviously times have changed and things have moved on and he's now been doing Big Finish, which a lot of people have now really reevaluated how they feel about the Sixth Doctor in the wake of the, of the Big Finish stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, um, if there's there's not many better companion Doctor relationships than him and Evelyn Smythe mm-hmm. in um, Big Finish. Um but yeah, he was he was screwed over by 
circumstances and back back behind the scenes chaos Mm -hmm. and again i really recommend people watch the documentary on the trial of time lord box set Mm -hmm. because like i say they don't shy away from it and colin baker himself says that he was cast on the basis that he was at a party that john nathan turner the showrunner at the time was at and he was purely cast on the fact that he was funny that day yeah and you know Colin Baker himself says, I don't know if I should have been cast on the basis that I was funny at a party one day. Mm. You know, so it's one of those things of, you know, wrong, maybe the right casting, but at the wrong time. time. Yeah, or, the, or for the wrong reasons. Or for the wrong reasons, yeah. yeah. I think if we did like a top five, like sixth Doctor uh, stories, I think we would struggle with that. Struggle. Because, because trial is... You, you, it's difficult to use have trial as three separate stories. Mm-hmm. Um, our number one would be Vengeance of Varos because it is his best story by some considerable margin. Mm. And then it's kind of everything else, which yeah. ain't a lot. Yeah, I, I probably would have put Remy's Revelation just because of sort of like the the current of black humour that runs through it. You know, yeah. when you've got Davros got, it's like explaining his scheme of turning the dead into food. And the doctor says, well, do you need anything to tell anybody? And Davos says, well, no, because that would have created what I would term consumer resistance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I think that would be my second choice. Mm. Um, but once you get past those two stories, you're sort of left a bit empty handed. Yeah. Um, uh, I like two doctors. Oh, I mm. think it's a bit um. Mm. You know, but if you're talking about things like Time Lash. Yeah. Oh, Time yeah. Lash. <laughs> Um, Mark of the Rani is fun yeah. um, you know but it's one of those ones of like you know are you in the mood for some campy nonsense then mm-hmm. by all means please stick on Mark of the Rani yeah. um, Twin Dilemma is nigh on unwatchable mm-hmm. and, and then, now then you've only got Attack uh, of the Sidemen then you've got Attack of the Sidemen which um, I think is one of the things that nearly had Mary Whitehouse in her grave because mm. of the violence in it. I mean, oh, that yeah. bit where the sideman crushes... Um, Listen's hands, yeah. Listen's hands. That's, that's horrible. Yeah. And then the Doctor, like, pretty much single-handedly, like, frags all of the Cybermen in the control room. Yeah, like, like... Oh, this ain't my Doctor. And, and then you've got the... last the... time, you know, so bad. Yeah. And then you've got the um, bumbling, you know... What what's his name? Griffin or something? Are they yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's like oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, whatever he's like. Yeah, you know, it's just. Yeah, I think, like I say, it's one of those things of he, the, the the chaos behind the scenes and the disservice that was done to Colin Baker mm-hmm. throughout is one of those things that's gonna we're gonna keep coming back to with his era. But just on paper and just on what we get for his era. Mm-hmm. He's, he's coming down the bottom for me and it's, yeah. it's unfair on Colin Baker but th- that's how it is for me I think Speaking of someone who got I think got screwed just as well as um, Paul McGann as the 8th Doctor yes, because yes. he only had the TV movie to, I mean yes okay he's gone and done Big Finish and that's and some of his stuff's great on that but if we're talking purely in terms of television he got like what maybe he's not even 90 minutes of screen time and even not that, even that if we're talking that. about yeah. purely yeah yeah it was one of those things of I remember before um, when when the series came back after mm-hmm. in two thousand and five. Yeah, a lot of people were just like you know, oh well, we just assume this is a ninth Doctor. What if it's not? Mm. What if it's you know this Doctor, that Doctor? And when obviously they sort of made it very clear that 
Paul McGann was the eighth, and this guy was the ninth, and then Dave Tennant was the tenth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of people I saw trying to somehow reinterpret the line in School Reunion of you've regenerated half a dozen times since you saw me last. Mm-hmm. The amount of people I've, I, I know who tried to reinterpret that line to not say he was the tenth, <laughs> and to somehow exclude Paul McGann out of that list. Oh. And it wasn't until Human Nature, where you mm-hmm. get all the, the sketches, yeah. and Paul McGann is in there, mm-hmm. uh, people went, shit. <laughs> we have to, it counts. We have to count him. You know, because I think there was some movement to be like, well, we'll just think of him as like, you know, we think of Peter Cushing mm-hmm. in that, you know, he's not really a doctor. Yeah. Uh, but now he's firmly nailed into the canon. People are a bit like, well, we have he's, to count him now. He's kind of like the George Lazenby of Doctor Who, really. Oh, he so is. He so yeah. is. And I don't think he's, he's not a bad actor. He, he did have some great moments in the um, in the TV movie, you know, not excluding. Oh, ah, ah, <laughs> um, we do have to talk about the TV movie. It's no, it's no good. We yeah, have to, it's we definitely have to going do. on the slate. Yeah, yeah, we've got to do it. Um, but. See, it's like, you know, when I think about it, I always kind of wonder what it would have been like if instead of Christopher Eccleston as the ninth Doctor for the first series, they actually brought Paul McGann back. I wonder how, like, sort of, do you think that would have been, like, crazy different? or? Would it I have... think it would have been, I think, to be honest, I think if they'd announced it and said Paul McGann is resuming his role as mm-hmm. the eighth Doctor, That's... people would have just gone, great, yep, yeah, go with it. Hmm. You know, if they'd say, right, we'll, we'll, you know, pretend the TV movie didn't happen. We'll mm-hmm. just say, yeah, you regenerated in it. These The events happened. But we'll move on as if, yeah. you know, none of the audio stuff had happened or anything else. If they'd announced that from the get-go, I would have gone, yeah, I'll go with it. Fine. Yeah, I think um, we would have gone with it. Yeah, I think we would have gone with it. But, but, you know, I think, you know, McGann... I mean, the way he talks of it more, again, it's sort of the Colin Baker situation of that he talks of it more fondly now, but at the time mm-hmm. and the way he was treated afterwards, mm-hmm. um, I don't blame him for not wanting to go back to it. Yeah. He certainly didn't like the wig. No, he did not like the wig. <laughs> I think that was probably a deal breaker. They said, you've got to put the wig back on. I'm like, nope, nope. I'm out. <laughs> nope. Nope. Well, even if the, in like the Big Finish uh, stuff, it, it's sort of like they've tweaked it so... Like recently, he's more looks more like Paul McGann. It's not Paul McGann in a wig. Yeah, they they've done some more publicity shots because for a long time there was like those six that yeah. are on the on the <laughs> on the that. front of the eight. If that that one where he's holding the watch up and mm-hmm. you know the other like another couple and that's basically all they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that now they because he's sort of in a in an Eccleston esque leather coat and mm-hmm. he's got shorter hair, which is just his hair, I think. Yeah. You know, so because they, they've done some like faux publicity shots, shots for him. Yeah. Yeah, and much more how McGann envisions his Doctor. I mean, mm. by some barometers, he is our longest-serving Doctor. Mm. You know, because if you take it from when he started doing the TV movie as continuous service up yeah. to 05, that's mm-hmm. nine years. And if you count, like, the, the books and the comic yeah. strips, yeah. He's got, and, you know, in terms of that, if you're looking at that, he's got way more, like, oh, yeah. material than virtually every other any other Doctor. Oh, hell yeah. Um, so by those parameters, he's been... Very successful, but unfortunately, if you're talking mm-hmm. about ranking doctors and you're going to say, "I'm just going on what's on screen," mm-hmm. McGann's out. You can't. Yeah. You can't possibly. You can't rank judge him, him on yeah. on what seventy <coughs> minutes of screen time. Because well, you know, most of which he's not in. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's he, when you watch the TV movie, it always surprises me how much he's not in it. 
Mm. It's all fucking Eric Roberts. <laughs> yeah, and bloody, what's it, Daphne, Daphne Ashbrook. Mm. So, finally, the ninth Doctor. Mm-hmm. Now... Um, I've I've been pretty frank in saying that I'm not a big fan of Eccleston's portrayal. Um, mm-hmm. Like uh, I, we're we're going to talk about this more because we we plan to have a talk about series one at some point. Um, yeah. So I don't want to don't want to sort of keep yeah. yeah I don't want to keep my powder dry on it a little bit. But um, you know I I think with with Eccleston you know sort of knowing what we know now you get a sense it was we, just a job. You get exactly. You get you when you watch it. You can sort of see in him that you know we, I'm just sort of doing this for a check, and mm-hmm. you know I'm a serious actor, don't you know? As soon yes. as uh, the next big play or proper film comes along, I'm I'm, I'm slinging the hook. Uh-huh. I'm out. You know, says the man who did bloody Gone in sixty seconds and <laughs> GI Joe. But um, yeah, you know that was it. Probably watching GI Joe is like you left Doctor Who for this, you prick. <laughs> um, but you know, you you do wonder if if he'd stuck around for another season, what would happen? We touched on this when we've been talking before about it's weird to think of season two with Eccleston in it. Obviously, it would it wouldn't be like how we we know season two now. But yeah. um, can you imagine him being in the family of blood? Just think about yeah. that. Everyone at home, just just envisage Eccleston in the family of blood, and then I... think about how long that feels. Yeah, I I can't picture that at all. I can't picture him being John Smith, school teacher. No, no. I mean I could see him doing midnight because it's uh, it, midnight is essentially, you know, like a like a closed room drama with like five people in it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like, you know, in in air quotes Doctor Who. It's like yeah. a stage play. But can you imagine him in uh, let's have a think, Fear Her? No. Can you can you imagine him in? Let's think. Uh, I could see him in the Lazarus experiment because that's that's. Could see him in the Lazarus of, experiment because that, that's, that's uh, kind of like reminiscent of when Chris Eccleston did the Second Coming, you know, yeah. um, where he played Jesus <laughs> or, yes. or Regan, Because <laughs> well, I mean, I was just the, listening. The Messiah, well, yeah, the Messiah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, but can you imagine him in stories like Smith and Jones or Partners in Crime, which are a bit fluffy? No. He really had a problem with the fluffy mm-hmm. part. Like, you know, the as, as good as The Doctor Dances is, mm-hmm. that end bit with the TARDIS lights flashing and him dancing like a loony, and yeah. you just think, oh, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he could, he could do sort of... He could do bits of the humour, but... Yeah, I, not all he's of it. Not, he's not a comic actor. No, if you know not what by I mean. any means. He just he comes across as a bit insincere. I mean, almost. Mm. I mean, he's he's great in Dalek. Yeah. Because it's a drama piece. Mm-hmm. But when when you get to bits like, you know, like the stuff in Boomtown, the, dra- mm. the dramatic bits of Boomtown, he's very good in. Yeah. But when you've got sort of the the comedic bits, like when him and uh, Margaret Savina having lunch, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it, oh, it just yeah. doesn't sit right. It it's not. It just doesn't feel. Mm-hmm. You know. I'm saying, can you imagine him doing this episode, that episode? Whereas mm. I can't imagine Eccleston doing Tennant's episodes. I can imagine Tennant doing his episodes. Yeah. I could see him doing Boomtown. Mm. Like that bit where Margaret Savine goes out of the, you know, and he's being held up by a secretary. Mm. And he sort of stands there and then he says, she's gone out the window, hasn't she? Mm. You know, and then runs out the thing going, Margaret, like that. You know, mm. I can see Tennant doing that. Yeah, you can definitely see Smith doing that. 
oh god that is such a smithy thing you know mm. that whole thing of running after and then she's you know zapping into different places and mm. i like boomtown a lot mm-hmm. but um i remember having a great big argument about boomtown in a pub once um <laughs> but um how a lot of your stories tangent into a pub i see a theme I, here I'm, a, I'm either at home or in a pub to be honest you know <laughs> so if i ever go missing i'm but, probably in yeah. one of the pubs in London somewhere, just well, start looking. <laughs> here's a thought. What if you lived in a pub? Oh, God. I would probably die of alcohol poisoning, probably within ah, the first that's, week. That's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. So, yeah, I just, I think, as much as, I mean, I know a lot of people who Eccleston is their favourite Doctor since the series has revived hmm. and would have made their top five list probably fairly high up and there's a lot of good reasons for that and you know i i respect that you've got as they say on those better rock you've got to respect him for what he's done but um yeah he's he's just not he's just not a doctor he's he's not not, he's not a doctor he just he doesn't have that horrible Mm. phrase the x factor for me yeah well i think that covers pretty much everything then doesn't it Yes, I think we set the world to rights, yeah. yeah. We can't talk about Capaldi just yet. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, it'd be interesting, you know, if um, if the stars align, you know, once we've seen Capaldi, it'd be interesting to revisit this topic and mm. see how Capaldi factors in into that list, if he does. Mm. Yeah, so that's our top fives. You may well have your own, and you may well agree with us, or you may well not, but there you go. That's just please, what we Please think. don't, please don't send us hate mail. <laughs> Well, well, they can't because technically we haven't got an email address yet. <laughs> oh, don't don't send you, people don't. who know us on Twitter. Please don't send us hate tweets. <laughs> I mean, you can certainly tell us we're wrong. We'll just ignore you. Yes, we, yes. we will disregard your your wrong opinion. You told your no, opinion. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. So that's all for this episode. Thank you very much, Emma. Thank you as always, Mike. All right, and uh, we'll see you next time. Greatest Show in the Galaxy is produced by Emma Foster and Michael Mole for the Simply Syndicated 21st Century Media Network. Be sure to check out our Simply Syndicated sister podcasts, including Movies You Should See, Take It or Leave It, For Those About to Rock, Remote Patrol, Atomic Review War 9000, Starbase 66 and Nerd Hurdles. If you like what you hear, you can contact us at greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast or on Twitter at greatestshowpod. 